good morning. Good to see everybody today. It's back to school and all that kind of stuff this week. And I know Joseph already mentioned to you about the uh, t-shirts. And uh, this is just another visual. So if you're a purist here today and you missed the tie and the, the jacket and all that kind of stuff, it's coming back. It's just, a, it's just an extra visual. And besides, it's nice to wear a t-shirt up here during the summertime. It's just an added benefit. So let me ask you a question this morning. Guys particular, have you ever asked a woman if she was due and she wasn't? They say the average guy does that on average one time. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm above average. Yep, several times. And I think it must be something that's hereditary because my children seem to have done that. I don't know if you've ever had your children do something that embarrasses you, maybe something they said. Anybody, your children ever embarrass you? So my son Austin, when he was about three years old, and understand my son Austin, he only has one volume level. Wow, right? So we're in a Walmart and we're standing in line to check out. And he had kind of a nasally tone of voice back then. And so we're standing in line and there was a plus size woman in front of us. And all at once he looks at me in that one tone voice, kind of nasally. Daddy, is that lady gonna have a baby? Just at the top of his lungs. And she turns around and before I could say I'm sorry or anything, he jumps in. Are you gonna have a baby? For the second time. And if eyes could spit fire, she would have burned me to a crisp. So you know, those kind of things happen, don't they? I mean, we all, don't we all wish we had a rewind button sometimes and you could just pull your words back in? So that's why we're kind of starting this series, Kind Words Are Cool. Now for the next three or four weeks, we're just going to look at our speech and we're going to look at our words and, and how they impact and those types of things. As you know, words are extraordinarily powerful. In fact, your life and my life has been shaped by words. Words that have been spoken to us, words that have been spoken about us, words that have been spoken over us, they have shaped our lives. Words shape our childhood. Words have shaped your marriage, your most intimate relationships. Words shape your confidence, your self-confidence. Words impact who you see in the mirror every day. People with no confidence have had their confidence built up by words. And people that were very self-confident have been torn down and lost confidence because of words. And then the fascinating thing is, maybe even the, the challenging thing about words, is that the words we receive are not equally weighted, are they? I mean, they're just not. In fact, let me ask you this question. How many positives do you think it takes to outweigh a negative? Somebody just throw me out some numbers. How many positives outweigh a negative? 10, 98, 1. Anybody else? 50. Okay, I've read some statistics, 
And I couldn't find anything, unfortunately, about the family, because I think it would be different in a family dynamic. But when you go to, like, the workplace, there's all kinds of statistics out there. This is what they say in the workplace. It takes six positives to offset one negative. And, of course, then it kind of depends on who said it. So six positive comments to outweigh one negative comment. And here's something else that is the dynamic about this. Don't we tend to remember hurtful words more than we remember positive words? In fact, I bet you there's a lot of you in this room that can remember a conversation that went something like this. Maybe your grandfather, a father, your mother, maybe an uncle, a mentor, a teacher, a coach. They sent you down one time and they said, now listen, I'm going to tell you something and I don't want you to ever forget this. And you can remember them saying that, but you can't remember what the conversation was. Because we don't tend to remember the positives as much as we remember the negatives and the hurtful words. The hurtful words, the criticism, the sarcasm, we remember that kind of stuff. Because all words are not equally weighted. And the source isn't equally weighted either, is it? I mean, you've heard the phrase, your words weigh more than my words. Your words carry more weight than my words. You know, sometimes here around the church, people, the, the staff will come up to me and they'll say, would you go talk to them because your words carry more weight because you're the pastor? And I, and I get that. My words might weigh 150 pounds, because I'm the pastor, I'm the boss. But then there are other times I might go to them and I might say, would you go talk to this person? Because I don't want it to be like the principal is getting on to them kind of idea. Because your words only weigh 50 pounds, whereas my words might weigh 150 pounds. And here's the other dynamic. You know whose words carry the most weight? Moms and dads, right, in the family. Moms and dads. Now, moms, your words might be like 500 pounds. And dads, I don't know why this is true, but your words carry the most weight. Your words are like 1,000 pounds, like sledgehammers. And they can be positive. They can be negative. You know, I try to really make it a point to encourage people that maybe I know their, their, their home situation is not good growing up and and uh, maybe the dad wasn't on the scene or something like that, and they accomplished something that's, that's real, maybe graduation, something like that. And I might go to their graduation, and then I might say something like, Renee and I are really proud of you. Man, this is a great thing that you've accomplished. And just, you know, try to kind of fill that gap a little bit, let them know that somebody cares about them and is proud of them. Like I said, especially when I know that, that there's maybe dad's not there. And they're, they're always very kind about it. They'll say, thank you, Pastor. I appreciate that. Thank you, Dennis. That means a lot to me. But you know what I see sometimes in their eyes and in their facial expressions? Never had anybody vocalize it, but I, I can see it in their eyes. They're appreciative of what I've said, but they're like, you can just tell. I wish my real dad would say that. I wish I'd hear that from my dad, my actual dad. Dads, our words weigh the most. 
And then maybe the most overlooked dynamic of this whole weighted work thing is this. The recovery time is different. The recovery time on how you recover from something is different depending on who said something. The hurt that you hear when somebody says something that's hurtful, it just doesn't go away immediately. I mean, it's just not like instant. Sometimes it takes some time to heal. And that's why it's so ridiculous when we say, well, I said I was sorry. What else do you want me to do? I said I was sorry. That's enough. Why aren't we back to where we used to be? We should be good, right? I said I was sorry. And somehow those hurtful words are just supposed to instantly be gone. And we don't understand that there's a healing process sometimes to take place. It's kind of like this. Like if I slam your fingers in the car door and you pull your hand out and they're kind of mangled and there's like a bone sticking out the side of your finger. Well, just because I say I'm sorry doesn't mean we're not going to have to go to the emergency room, does it? No, we're still going to have to go to the ER because the damage has been done and things are going to have to be repaired and there's some healing that needs to take place. And words hurt more and saying sorry doesn't immediately make things go away because words are not equally weighted. Our words are some of the most powerful things that we have. And you can do more damage with your words than you can with any other part of your body. I mean, you can absolutely destroy people. And think about this. You can destroy someone with your words and not even be in the same room with them. Am I right? You can be somewhere else talking about somebody. Or how about social media? What kind of damage can you do to somebody? And they don't even know you've done it sometimes just by blasting people on social media. And some of you try to be cute and not use specific names. Everybody knows who you're talking about. And you're just firing away and just ripping people and damaging people. So we're going to kind of talk about all that. And we're going to go over to the book of James, James chapter 3. And James is just this very practical guy. He's the, the brother of Jesus. And he writes this very practical book. You know, sometimes people are like, I just don't know where to go. You know, I want to read my Bible some, and maybe every day, but I don't know where to start. James is a great place to start because it's just so practical. So we're going to pick up in verse 2 of chapter 3. And this is what he says. He said, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. Able to keep their whole body in check. We all stumble in many ways. Of course, in a Baptist church, we'd all go, Amen, Pastor, right? We all stumble, it says. And that's absolutely the case. And then in this next statement, he kind of gives the thesis for everything else that he's going to talk about. He says, anyone. That's us. That's all of us. He said, anyone who is never involved in what they say is perfect. He says, he's translating it a little bit here, he's saying, if you can control what you say, then you're perfect. That's, what, that, that's kind of the thesis here. He says, everybody stumbles in a lot of ways. But if you're able to control your mouth, watch what you say, then you are perfect. In other words, if you can control your mouth, then you can control the rest of your body. You can keep your entire body out of trouble. That's how powerful 
words are. But of course, he knows this isn't true, and that's what he's going to talk about. Nobody can control their mouth, and nobody, of course, is perfect. And so we read that opening statement, and you're kind of like, okay, James, could you maybe give us a little evidence of this, that if you can control your mouth, you can control your whole body? And James like, sure, verse 3. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever saddled horses, put halters and reins and bits and those kind of things on, on animals, but I know, you know this used to be a very agricultural area out here in Burning Bush, so I'm guessing probably a lot of you have. I used to work at that camp up in North Carolina, and we had horses, and the kids just loved horses. And so we'd get these kids, we'd saddle up horses, and, and we'd, you'd put a bit in a horse's mouth, that metal piece, and you know that bit, probably only, I don't know, eight ounces, maybe? And here's an animal that weighs 1,000, 1,100, 1,200 pounds, and you can control that animal with that eight-ounce bit, you know, pull on the reins, and it turns their mouth a certain way, and they know to go in that direction. And I'm starting to tell you about up there in North Carolina, we used to get these, the kids, you know, when they were teenagers, we'd let them go out on trail rides. And when they were younger, we'd, we'd put them in a kind of, we had a, a, a rink there, and, and somebody would lead them around. And so you get these kids on a horse that weigh, you know, 40 or 50 pounds, and, you know, their legs are so short that their legs are kind of sticking straight off like an airplane. I mean, they can't even kind of bend them around. Sometimes, you know, you can hardly get them in the stirrups. And, but they're, you know, they're, they're going around the ring and, you know, certain times of the year with the family retreats, you know, they're just like, look, daddy, look, daddy. And they're so excited to be on this, this horse. And some of them, you know, dwarfed them like they're riding elephants or something. But, but they're super excited about it. And when they got comfortable, still in the ring there, the, uh, the handler might let go of the reins and let the child actually have the reins and control of the horse. So here's this 40, 50 pound child controlling 11, 1200 pound beast with just the bit in the mouth. And so James is making his point about how that if you can control the mouth, you can control the entire animal. In our case, if we can control our mouth, we can control our whole body because our mouths are so powerful. And then he's like, you don't like that illustration? Well, let me give you another illustration. Look at verse 4. He starts talking about boats. He says, or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants them to go. So he says they're so large, and you have to remember that, that ships back then were other than buildings were about the biggest thing that, that anybody knew. I mean, just these big boats. And I think we have a, a picture of one of those boats. And uh, that boat there would hold about 200 people. That's a first century Roman ship. It would hold about 200 people plus cargo. And then he makes this statement that even though you have this big boat, how do you control it? Just this little rudder in the back. Now our boats, most of them are different today and propulsion and all that kind of thing controls them. But back then, you just had that little rudder at the back, and that controlled that big ship. And it controlled the destination of the entire ship. And so his point is kind of obvious. Small part, rudder, bit, big influence. He says, look at the, the bit, look at the rudder. Proportionately, they seem insignificant, but yet, they're extraordinary. 
in the way that they have influence in direction of a beast or a ship. Or in the case of our mouths, our speech, our words, the direction of life. That's what he says here. Likewise, likewise the tongue he's going to talk about here. You know your tongue is really only about four inches long? Think about the size compared to the rest of your body. Your tongue is made up of eight muscles. And here's something really interesting. Those eight muscles never get tired. Some of you are probably grinning because you're thinking, yeah, I know all about that. I'm married to somebody like that. They never get exhausted. Never get tired. I remember when uh, one of my daughters was young from time to time, and she just talked, talk, 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 and, and Renee would say, could you just be quiet? Mommy's ears are tired. I mean, just, you know, the, the, the tongue never gets tired. So he says, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. And then he goes on. He wants to illustrate this for us. So he talks about this. He says, consider, think about this. Consider this. What a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Now, you know the audience that's reading this in the first century? There weren't a lot of forest fires in that part of the world. I mean, there's not enough wood. There's not enough forest. So they had to kind of imagine this a little bit. We don't have to do that. We've seen it on TV. Remember these pictures in Gatlinburg a few years ago? And do you remember the terrifying videos? You're watching these people fire all around them, and they're going down the side of the mountain as fast as they can. You hear little kids in the car going, Daddy, Daddy, faster, faster. And we don't have to imagine that. And they tell us those terrible fires. I was in Gatlinburg, Pigeon Forge area this last week, and you can still see the evidence of the fires up there. I mean, it's not gone yet. It'll be a little while before it's gone. He's saying, they're telling us, it started by some kids playing with fire. A little spark. Your words, just a little bit of, of words that you can cause all of this trouble. Something so small. Tell us, it's such a problem, your mouth, your words. And then he kind of amplifies a little bit in verse 6. The tongue also is a fire. So he says, just like these pictures, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and itself is set on fire by hell. The tongue, your mouth, your words, they have the potential, he's saying, for endless evil. A divorce can be initiated by words. A murder can be initiated by words. Wars have been started by words. He says the mouth, the tongue, it has the, the ability to corrupt the entire body. You know, we probably all have a story. You're thinking of stories of things that you have said that just infected your entire body, how your mouth got your entire being, so to speak, in trouble. Parents, when your children mouth off, do you just put the tongue in timeout? No, you put the entire body in timeout. When you ground your teenagers for something they said, do you just put the tongue in, just ground it? No. The entire body. No one's ever divorced a mouth. They divorce the entire body. 
You don't fire a mouth, you fire a person, the entire person. A principal doesn't expel the mouth, they expel the entire student. That's James's point. That word, your mouth has potential to get the entire body in trouble. You can change the whole course of your life with your words. As your words go, so go your relationships. And you have the potential to burn down a relationship with words. You can burn down your marriage with words. You can burn down intimate relationships with words. I can burn down my relationship with my kids and my friends with my words. I can ruin my career with my words. And the truth is, this is, this is all a little bit convicting for me. Sometimes we scorch the people that we love most with our words. How many times have we scorched our kids because we're angry or something with our words, with our sarcasm, with our passive-aggressive comments? And then when we're confronted, what do we do? We defend ourselves. Well, I was just being honest. You needed to hear that. Well, I was just mad. Well... I wasn't myself. I didn't mean it. But the truth is this. You're pretty intelligent people here. If you start a fire accidentally, you are still responsible for the fire that you started. And if you start a fire with your words, you are still responsible for that fire. The analysis is if James hasn't gone kind of deep enough, and we're like, okay, James, we get it, enough's enough. He kind of goes to the bottom. This fire you start with your mouth, this toxic thing that is your mouth, this, this, this thing is actually set on fire. And he says that it in itself has been set on fire by hell. And when he uses the word hell here, he's not talking about a place of eternal torment. He's talking about evil. He's talking about that evil that, that, that just seems to reside in us. Even after we're believers, that, that part of us that's just like, where did that come from? Ever say something in your life? Where did that come from? Why did I say that? He's saying because it's, there's something within you. Satan is working on you, and, he, and he'll get you to say things that you don't want to say. And we're kind of like, okay, James, let, let's turn the corner, but he's not done yet. No, not yet. He goes on to a, he kind of like goes in a totally different direction. He starts talking about animals here in verse 7. He said, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. And when he's saying tamed, he's not, he doesn't mean domesticated like pets. He means they've been subdued. He said, all animals, basically man has subdued the animal kingdom. The animal kingdom is not a threat to humans. I mean, there's an occasional shark attack, and maybe it seems like there's been a lot of those in the news, but, but relatively speaking to the amount of people that are swimming, it's, it's small. I mean, there's an occasional snake bite, bear attack, buffalo throwing somebody up in the air, those kinds of things. But overall, man has subdued the animal kingdom. They don't threaten the human race. He says, you've gotten those things under control, mosquito problem, bug problem, those types of things. But then he goes on and he says, but no human being, we've tamed animals. But then he says, no human being 
contain the tongue. It is a restless evil full of poison. He says no one, no human being can tame the tongue. You can tame animals. You can subdue animals. But you can't tame the tongue. It'll never be fully domesticated. It will never be fully under control. You think about that, you're kind of like, James, that's kind of depressing. You can never control your tongue. I think he's, what he's saying is you're going to have to be careful the rest of your life. This is not something you graduate from. He says it's a restless evil. It's full of poison. It's volatile. It's like it should have a warning label on it with a skull and crossbones. It, it, it's tough to control it. You're going to have to work on it. Think about this. I'm standing up here today with this microphone on my cheek. And I could ruin my entire ministry, my entire career with words. I could say some things today, and next week the leaders of the church will be up here and be, y'all remember Dennis? <laughs> yeah, you were here last week when he said those things. He's sorry, but he's not coming back. I mean, I could do that with words. It could ruin my ministry. That's the power of words. That's the poison. That's the unpredictable factor. It's like somebody's got to stand guard over the mouth. And he keeps on going and talking about how unpredictable the mouth is. And in fact, what he's going to say next some of us will be guilty of doing what he's going to talk about next. We will be guilty of doing that today. So he's talking to first century believers, Christians. And here's what he says in verse 9. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. So here's what he's saying. With the same mouth, we can praise God. We can come to church. We can say good things. With that same mouth, we also can tear down the people that God loves. So like today, we can come to church and we can sing these great, incredible songs, and, and we can praise Jesus, and oh, how I love Jesus, and I just love Jesus, yes, I do, how about you, kind of thing. And then we can leave here, and we can go to the restaurant and say unkind things to the waitress. We can get in our car, and yeah, 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 with your spouse, your kids, or whatever. And before the day is over, we're doing, we've done exactly what James is talking about. He says you're so demeaning and you're so critical and you're so sarcastic and you're so caustic. He says think about that. He says that's just weird. That it comes out of the same mouth. And then it's like he kind of leans in a little bit. You ever talk to somebody and you just kind of lean into the conversation a little bit maybe by calling them out by name? Wow. You just kind of lean in. And they know that you got something really important. He says, brothers and sisters. So 
who's kind of leaning in. So for you to be able to say that you love God and, 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 and then destroy people that, you, that God loved, this should not be. And he says in verse 11, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? And everybody nodding is like, no, James, no. And then the implication is, well, the tongue is kind of miraculous, isn't it? Because it's the only thing, the only thing in nature that we see that is kind of opposite, that is capable of two opposite things from the same central source. He says the mouth is miraculous like that. It's like a magic trick. My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt water, salt spring produce fresh water. You're saying, my brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives? Can a grapevine bear figs? This audience is like, well, of course not. Orange trees don't produce tomatoes, and banana trees don't produce pears. I mean, that's just, no. I mean, why are you being like this, James? I mean, now you're just getting ridiculous. And his point is, it's also unnatural when your tongue praises God and then condemns people at the same time. He says there's something wrong with our mouths. And then what comes next is kind of a shock. The end. He stops. Just like that, he goes to another topic. He just stops abruptly. And you're kind of sitting here and you're going, well, James... Can't you give us a little bit of help here? If you, if you say we can't tame it, what are we supposed to do? And he just kind of leaves it hanging there. I mean, there's no like further instructions about it. And it kind of leaves you hanging a little bit, doesn't it? In fact, when I was thinking about this, I thought about just finishing up and go, God bless, see y'all next week kind of idea. I mean, just, just, just leaves it, so to speak. I think the reason he did that is because he wants us to understand how serious this is. That there's not, you, you just, you're going to have to worry about it the rest of your life. That nobody matures past this. Nobody ever graduates from this. That this is going to be a struggle that you always have. No matter what your age, you're always going to struggle for this, struggle with this. It's an extraordinary evil, but it also has the potential for extraordinary good, and the way you use your words control the quality of your life, the direction of your family, the way people view you and think about you, the quality of your children and their life, your relationships with your roommates or whomever, the, the people you work for and with. It's a big deal, and you're never, ever totally going to be safe from it. I mean, it's not like we can put them in a zoo somewhere, all the tongues, and look at them, or put them in an aquarium and look at them through the glass. And you, you, you can't do that. I mean, it's always going to be there. So unlike James, I just want to, I, I think we need to, to really think about this. I just want to give you three things to think about. Because I think it's good for us to be so aware of this. The first one is this. These are the takeaways from James' text. Number one is this. Remember the potential of our words. 
Remember how powerful they are for good or evil. Remember, you are a powerful person because of your words. And your words are the most powerful thing that you can wield. You're powerful. You're extraordinary. And you need to be careful of that power, especially when you're angry, especially when you're frustrated, especially when you're wound up. And you know the thing is, and he used that spark kind of idea earlier in the passage, our pilot lit, every, every one of us, our pilot, is, pilot light is always on, isn't it? I mean, it's always just kind of burning there. And it doesn't take a whole lot to fan that thing and make it explosive. That's how powerful our words are. Remember that. That's the first takeaway this morning. The second is this. Surrender. This is a big deal. Surrender your mouth. There's so much potential there for good or evil. And we need to make sure we've surrendered that to God. Remember over in the book of Romans, Paul talks about your bodies are a living sacrifice in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. He said your whole body is a sacrifice. That means our mouths are part of it, our hands, our feet, our eyes. We need to be aware of that. There needs to be prayers in our life to say, God, help my hands do what you want me to do. God, help my eyes to see what you see. God, help my mouth to be a positive influence. Help it to be, help it have the potential for good. Help me not to use it for tearing down. See, the volatility never goes away. It just never does. And the more influence you have, the more potential you have to carry evil. And then the third is this. Confess when you mess up. James tells us you're going to mess up. You're never going to graduate. You're never going to move beyond. You don't mature past this. You've always got to manage it. You've always got to guard it. Quit explaining all the time. Don't excuse yourself all the time. It's just the way I am. Don't do that. Own the fires that you've begun with your words. Own them. Own the scorching sarcasm that you have. Own those passive-aggressive comments that, that, that's been your habit your whole life and cut them out. There's no place for that. There's no place for sarcasm in the marriage. There's no place for sarcasm. I'm talking about biting sarcasm with your kids. There's no place for that. And people might laugh and chuckle, but on the inside, you are scorching somebody's heart. Dads, as I mentioned earlier, and I don't know why it is, you carry the most weight. Your words are the hottest and the heaviest. And then, kids. I know we don't have a lot of children in here, but the truth is, we're all kids. We all have parents. And you know the words that kids say to their parents are the heaviest words that parents ever hear? Oh, it's just my dad. It's just my mom. It's not just your dad. It's not just your mom. Regardless of your age, your words matter to your parents. Ladies, guys, we like to look all tough and put up that 
you know, that, that guard, that look of things don't bother us, and we'll laugh it off, and on the inside we're hurt. It hurts guys too. And guys, honor women with your words. Honor women with your words. Honor women with your words. Honor them when they're there with your words. And honor them when they're not there with your words. Honor your wife with your words. Honor your daughters, your grandchildren with your words. When you're in the workplace, when the women are present, honor them with your words. When they're not present, honor them with your words. That's the world that you want your daughters and granddaughters to grow up in. It's important. Last thing. For those of you who grew up in environments where words were scorching and tossed about and hurtful all the time, change it for the next generation. Don't repeat the cycle because you'll be inclined to repeat that cycle. I mean, how many of us have ever said something to one of our kids and then went, I can't believe I said that. My dad used to say that, and I promised I would never say that to my kids. And there we were saying, where did that come from? Make a decision to break that cycle. Decide that, because words are so powerful. And I know it's a bit of a downer to hear what James says here, that, that you cannot tame your mouth. You can basically only guard it. But by God's grace and with some thoughtfulness on our parts, it can be controlled. Would you pray with me?